Hey there, RPG fan listeners. Welcome back to another episode. We're going to get right into it after I drop the news dump on you because uh, some exciting things have happened over at the website since episode 170. What exciting things are those, you may ask? Well, uh, your voice probably doesn't sound like that, but all the same, I'm going to keep going. RPG Fan has partnered up with Phoenix Edge, a great podcast and video crew run by a couple guys called uh, Hat and Eric. Uh, we've got them on board to help promote between the two sites, or I guess between the two sources of content. So check out Phoenix Edge RPG Podcast, check out their YouTube channel, and um, see what also they have to say about us. <laughs> because I know they are glad to be on board, and I look forward to collaborating with them as well, hopefully in the future on some other projects. And not just doing our own things and going along with business as usual. Now with that big old tidbit out of the way, the next big thing to announce is we've hit number 20 in Crowdfunding Chronicles. Tina has been pumping these out basically since she conceived it, and I'm excited that she just keeps doing it. I know fans are really responding to getting an um, in-depth uh, look at the indie world of game development and all the crowdfunding projects that are available. This makes them digestible, points out what's good and bad, and oh, Tina, keep doing what you do. Crowdfunding Chronicles, if you haven't read any of them, see what's been funded, see what hasn't been. We're at number 20 now, I hope she keeps going. It's a lot of work. Good on you, Tina. Generally, we plug RPG fans' other podcast that's active at the moment, Retro Encounter, at the end of the episode. I think I forgot in the end of this one, but I'm going to plug it now because they're doing some great stuff. Um, but DS Encounter was one he dropped. If there's any of the gems that were on the Nintendo DS that you missed, which had a lot of great RPGs on it, check out DS Encounter. Have a listen to some of their favorites and the collector and you can run around and start collecting <laughs> whatever RPGs you missed out on. Now over to the bread and butter of RPGFan.com. Yes, I am talking about reviews. So to that end, let's have a look at the first one, which is Jonathan Logan's review of Octopath Traveler. Square Enix brought their gem of a classic turn-based JRPG over to Windows, and uh, it is standing up really well by comparison. So. If you liked it on Switch, you're probably going to like it here. Have a read of his review to see exactly what has been improved and changed in between the versions. Another re-release that happened lately, which we have been anticipating uh, as a, I guess, a collective group at RPG Fan and hopefully gamers everywhere, the Grandia HD collection hit the Nintendo Switch and Zach Wilkerson picked it up. Unfortunately, it's a bit of a mixed bag with how they uh, treated the port, but Overall, if you haven't experienced Grandia, apparently this is a great way to do it, so give the review a read to see if it's going to be something that you want to look into, either repurchasing as an old collector and fan, or as a new series to get into. I talk about it a bit in this episode, but I went back to Moonlighter, and they released the Between Dimensions DLC, they being Digital Sun Games. Uh, jumping back into this little action RPG roguelike was a lot of fun, and uh, you can check out my review on the DLC. Cat's Quest 2 was reviewed by Bob Richardson, and it looks like just such a darling little game. Uh, again, he thinks it's overall a fairly average solid experience. For me, I'm excited for the prospect of being able to play it with Gwen. She loves cats, she likes quests, it's great to play together, so just check out the review, see what you think. And the last review for you to check out is Corona Boy Alice, a review that Audra Bowling put together of a lovely little visual novel that's just a nice, quick, little, beautiful package. 
Switching gears, we've got another video review of Final Fantasy VIII Remaster came out not too long ago and Alana's review was lovely. She then came and lent her voice to doing a video review for us, so if you don't want to read the review, check out the video review at our YouTube channel. And now the music reviews are going to bring us home. We've got a big 3 CD review of the Tales of Asteria soundtrack that came out last February of 2018. And uh, largely featuring work by Takao Ogi and the K-Lab sound team. Patrick Yan dove into this big 3 disc review and largely seems pretty happy with it. He says there's a few misses in it, uh, but it is a very strong uh, showcase of Ogi's work. And finally, Adam Lurz reviewed the West of Loathing original soundtrack, which is basically exactly what you want from the sounds of it. It's just a really strong Western soundtrack for fans who love the spaghetti Western genre and everything in between. Uh, this is the soundtrack for you. And that's it. You don't have to hear me talk anymore. Just kidding. Now there's a podcast. Hey there listeners, welcome back for some more Random Encounter. I am Greg Delmage, uh, at G Delmage. Nope, that's not where I'm at. I'm at Greg Delmage. <laughs> yeah, whatever, you look Greg Delmage, you'll find me in places because, you know, I'm IMDB and stuff. That's kind of fun. Uh, you can find me on Discord at G Delmi. And uh, today I'm joined on episode 170 by another new face, voice, whatever, to the podcast, uh, Pete Levitt. Hello, great to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, where can people find you on the interwebs if they want to talk about all things RPGs or Mecha or whatever else you're going to get Ooh, to? Ooh, foreshadowing. Uh, my Twitter is <laughs> at PeteBarbero1. So Pete, like my first name, Barbero, like the Spanish word for barber, one. That's me. I like. Is, are you a pirate? Is that, is that your middle name? I am a barber. <laughs> In uh, fact, I'm... There we go. I'm that all makes sense. He was talking about clients earlier, so there we go. That's cool. I didn't know you were a barber by trade. I'm uh, recording from my shop, in fact, so we got a quiet, nice <laughs> shop right now with some cork floors. I, it's probably pretty echoey, but uh, we got some cork floors to absorb a little bit of that, I think. Is that for since you're on your feet all day kind of thing? No, it was what was here when I came in, and um, I used to think I wanted cork floors. I'm renovating my basement right now, too, um, at home, and I used to think I wanted cork floors in there. And having cork floors here makes me realize I probably don't. Um, the cool thing about cork is that it's sustainable. Like they peel it off of a tree in Portugal and then it grows back every season or something. It's a it's a hard floor, but it's really soft actually. And so like the little feet in my barber chairs that like support the footrests that go underneath that like hit the floor so the footrest doesn't bend down, those dig into the cork real good. So I don't want it for my basement. I'm glad I have it for the shop because I got some extra worn-in character going on here. So That sounds lovely. Folks, thank you so much for joining us today in a very special episode of Random Encounter. It's Flooring Encounter. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, our house came with uh, some really nice hardwood floors. That was one of the big selling points when we rent started renting this place. Although I feel super bad because we had really bad leaks through the roof oh. about like 
a year ago. Yeah, I think it was basically our landlords were kind of holding off on getting the roofing redone. They thought it would last one more year and it did not. They felt very embarrassed, which is great. That's why we know we have good landlords. But I felt so bad because it was leaking down our chimney that we don't use the fireplace because it hasn't been maintained. But it's still, of course, open and water was coming down and kind of seeping through the stone of it. And then coming out into the hardwood floor, and that's how I first started noticing it. There was pools of water pooling underneath the, um, like, there's, like, a mantle shelf on the bottom part of the fireplace. Yeah. And it was starting to, like, warp their lovely floors just up against the stone. I was like, oh, gosh, this is terrible. Hardwood's tough because a little bit warps, and it, and it pushes the, all the rest of it, you know? It can mess up the yeah. whole floor. Yeah, well, exactly. So, it thankfully, didn't get too bad. We did catch it, and we had, like, buckets in there, and it's fine, but they... This past summer, they fixed it up. So you know what you should do now is you should um, you should get, you should dig some little holes in there and get some character like I got here. I think that I think your wife would go for that, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And our landlords would be super appreciative mm-hmm. of us digging holes in the floor. Uh, and thank you everybody for joining us for flooring encounter. Have yourselves a good day. You can email us at flooring <laughs> at rpgfan.com. No, uh, at any rate. Um, so, random life stuff aside. Uh, and that's right, if anyone forgot, I did get married, so that was the thing. We didn't talk about it last episode, but I have gotten married since episode 169, so that's pretty fun. A thousand congratulations to Thank you. Thank you. It was it was pretty rad. We got married. Uh, I love her so much I married her twice. Uh, <laughs> well, we got married legally in the morning because we were just trying to figure out how we wanted to do the whole thing, and we wanted one of our friends to do the ceremony for us, who's a good, close, personal friend of ours, but we didn't want to make him jump through the hoops of being legally ordained. Uh, and all that sort of stuff. He's done it before in other provinces, but he's not official for BC. But we had confidence in his abilities. We were like, you know what, let's just do it first thing in the morning. That way, if we want to drink throughout the day, we can. Because we're not allowed to be drunk when we say our vows and sign our certificates. And given the nature that we wanted to do this outdoor ceremony later, we just wanted less kind of stuff to do, paperwork to sign, yada, 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 and just kind of go back and party. So we're like, yeah, let's just have a marriage counselor come to our house. So Annette and I basically woke up, threw on onesies, and got married in our pajamas. Uh, our <laughs> yeah, our marriage counselor uh, got her pajamas on too. She bought some um, some Supergirl ones or Superman ones, which was great. Because Annette had like her Super Mario onesie that I got her for Christmas last year. I had my Mega Man onesie, and it was great. And then we had brunch and mimosas and yada yada, and stressed about getting the rest of the day together. I was about to give you a hard time and facetiously say how romantic, but that's actually so romantic. <laughs> that's really right? adorable. It was really fun. And then, yeah, let us kind of do whatever we wanted for the day. So I went off and got ready with my groomsman, and she got makeup and stuff done at the house. And then we met up again later for our photos. So that's when I had the big reveal of seeing her for the first time in her dress and stuff, which was gorgeous. And she was, oh my gosh, she was so lovely. And did all our photos, and then official ceremony and all that sort of stuff uh, happened later, the ceremony we wanted in the park. So, yeah, it was it was Well, uh, welcome, everyone, to Marriage Encounter. RPG fans new podcast. Yeah, yeah. Please mail us at marriage at RPG. No. Anyways, <laughs> this is a joke that just keeps on giving. No, but mm. we really want to talk about uh, actually, aside from RPGs, is the fact that Pete and I are the only two people uh, at uh, RPG fan who seem to consistently talk about mecha things on a regular basis. Pete and I seem to have had the same childhood uh, joy with MechWarrior and BattleTech and all that fun stuff therein. Heavy gear. I don't know. Were you a big Gundam fan as well? How many giant fighting robots did you like? Yeah, growing up when I did, I uh, watched and really loved Gundam Wing. That was what was um, available to me. Since then, I've really I feel like we're the same age because that's what started me as well. On on three, we'll both say our favorite Gundams at the same time. 
Uh, one, oh, um, two, three, Gundam Death Angel Sight. Wing Zero, or whatever. <laughs> I don't remember which one it was, if it was Angel Wing or Wing Zero or something. It's the one with the, with the fake wings from Endless uh, Waltz. Waltz, <laughs> yeah. I wish I had that film as well. And all of its Although Heavy Gears, bullshit. Heavy Gear, or Heavy heavy Arms is up there for me, too. Mm, yes. I enjoyed Heavy Arms. It was Heavy Arms was the worst when you were playing Gundam Wing Endless Duel. Endless Duel. Nintendo. That's my boy, Greg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> People don't know that's actually such a good fighting game. Like it apart really from being is. beautiful and Gundam Wing, it's the, so all the sprite good. works fantastic. Yeah, if anyone likes their fighters, um, you can't really. It's one of the prettiest Super Nintendo games. Yeah, but if you uh, if you're a fan of um, you know doing that the rom hacks and such uh you can find endless duel and it's rad uh but yeah i um started on like the whole mecha thing with like mech warrior 2 my best friend pat who was best man at my wedding and stuff kind of sucked me into the whole gun um not gundam but uh, mech warrior stuff and we kind of spilled out into gundam and everything else anything that was giant fighting robots was our our, our go-to thing so we're both very excited for damon x machina but uh i love mech warrior 2 Mer- mercenaries is my jam though Mercenaries. Macquarie Two. I have to admit, uh, Macquarie Two Mercenaries is my number one favorite game of all time. No game surpassed it for me personally. Why is that? Uh, it, I mean, it's a time and place thing. I I played a lot of Macquarie Two. By the way, um, and this might be blasphemous being on an RPG podcast, but the best video game soundtrack ever is the Macquarie Two Thirty First Century Combat soundtrack. But uh, Mercenary <laughs> sound Mercenary soundtrack is pretty good too. But I played it a lot is. of that. Um, and the thing with Mech Warrior Two is that it the story uh, revolves around the clans, so you have all that honor yes. stuff. You have all this, you know, the clans in the BattleTech the universe are, system. A, yeah, they have a caste space society, and it's all about honor and warriors are among the highest castes there are. Whereas yeah. the rest of the BattleTech universe is in the inner sphere, which is like yeah. a human society in a dark age and constantly at war. And so mercenary in mercenaries you play as the inner sphere, and it's all about like you got to get that money. It's all about the almighty sea bill, and there are missions where you can betray your contractor for extra money or something. Right, it was so good, and you could tell the difference between the mechs because the inner sphere mechs had far inferior technology, so your weapons were less powerful. You overheated quicker. Mm-hmm. They didn't have omni mechs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so oh, we can nerd um, out all day. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fat. so I like it for that reason. I like the atmosphere. The writing was pretty good. Like the like the mission briefings was pretty good. I like mm-hmm. the open ended nature of it of taking contracts and earning money and hiring personnel and buying equipment and managing all your inventory and everything. Yeah, I love the, the squad system the, was all right. Yeah, like, oh, great. that's a game that if they redid now would be great because they did make Warrior Four Mercenaries and I don't remember it quite living up to be the same. Not quite. It was very good though. It was. Very it was. Good. And I do like the. I mean, I didn't. I didn't like the change to the the build system, where the build system was a lot more like the tabletop game. Yeah, a bit more like authentic to the source material, yeah. but less flexible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's very cool. But they are making it. They're doing Mech Warrior Five Mercenaries out in December, so we'll see how that goes. They seem to be really aware. And that one's from Piranha Games. Uh, yeah, who are here in Vancouver, I believe. Uh, and I am very excited for it because yeah, their online Mech Warrior game. Mm-hmm. It's great. I've been enjoying it off and on when I can. Just my computer can't quite run it. But I just bought a new computer that I will be assembling sometime over next week. And I'm very excited. And I will probably get back into that. But yeah, uh, Mercenaries is one of my great favorite game. games as well. I It's one of the ones that sucked me in. And yeah, for all, a lot of the same reasons. The contract thing, all that. It sucked. I had a, <laughs> I definitely had a burned copy from my friend. And I would get you to scoundrel. a certain point in it. And 
and it would uh it would always crash consistently so it was not le- legit enough and i made me so sad because i would get the crab i love the crab mech in that oh, game for some reason yeah. i don't know why all heavy energy weapons is a very powerful mech attack wise yeah. yeah i still think the avatar is my favorite i blasted the avatar so much in uh mechware 3 because that was my big like, mm. online excursion and uh yeah, the Avatar is solid. Uh, I'm all, I'm a big Sphere fan too. Did you ever play like the card game? I haven't played any tabletop Battletech anything. I did watch the the Saturday morning cartoon, <laughs> that which I was so great and awful all at the same time. I revisited it in 2007, and you could tell it got a lot better by the end. And I I enjoyed it. It was cool. You can it watch it all on all YouTube. Right. Yeah, it's all on YouTube. It's cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember I was streaming it from some yeah illicit source back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Until I started having more morals. Well, be, being in the film industry and TV industry, I got to a point where I was just like, I don't feel comfortable basically, you know. Digging like into my own industry. Working at McDonald's and eating your own fries. <laughs> if you're not going to make money. So, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, I, I should mention, though, I've had like this torrid, breathless, passionate reigniting of an affair with an old 1999 game, Heavy Gear 2. Whew, which I declare, giving me the vipers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I played that game a lot as a kid, and I I remember it has issues. There's like a really good Gama Sutra uh, retrospective written by one of the developers in 2000, so right when it came out. Um, that game was a failure, but it got like it got a lot of Game of the Year awards, like Sim of the Year awards. That was the same year MechWarrior Three came out. A lot yeah. of reviewers thought Heavy Gear Two was better. I love MechWarrior Three. I'm not sure if it's not as good as Heavy Gear Two, but um, I played Heavy Gear 2 a bunch as a kid, but looking back, I think about it off and on all the time for some reason, and all I could remember were the issues I had with it, and it has issues. The game was rushed. Um, it was and buggy, sh- I think was its biggest issue, wasn't it? It was buggy. It had weird decisions um, that didn't seem to be bugs, but just decisions for playability that I didn't appreciate because it went against kind of the simulation aspect of it. But what was cool about Heavy Gear 2 is that you, it was like a squad-based tactical first person shooter like a old Very ghost recon or yeah. rainbow six sort of um yeah. and it had great gra- but I think with roller skates i think yeah i think it still looks great and it has like you know the, and the gears and heavy gear are almost like anime style they're smaller than mechs from mech warrior they're humanoid and they're kind of anime inspired yeah they're more in line with like gundams and such because it's kind of Back where MechWare and stuff was rooted from, which was from Robotech. Macross and, yeah, exactly. Exactly, which Robotech does not hold up as a TV show, FYI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Macross is a little better than Robotech. But the um, but the Gears, um, the thing about Heavy Gear 2 that was great is uh, the management of your squad, and you can give them commands and everything, and there was a stealth system. And that stuff didn't always work but when it came together the real shame about heavy gear 2 is you can tell it was rushed there it really comes all the way together not that often but when it does it's absolutely thrilling and the the battles are so dynamic it has a thing where like you can shoot like dumb fire rockets and they kind of swarm at the enemy and they can run out of fuel and drop so you can like do indirect fire where you can shoot over hills and over walls by just shooting a rocket pack okay, over like it going for artillery yeah, and they would they run out of fuel and just drop on the enemy. And so, you know, like there's some missions in Heavy Gear 2 where you're being attacked on all sides by Heavy Gears and they're like shooting rockets at you and you can see the rockets burn out of fuel. And the way that the smoke in that game hangs in the air and, get, and just drifts in the breeze, it's so beautiful. Smoke for 1999 was not that. It was like such a good game. So pretty, <laughs> so beautiful. And when the systems came together, it was 
unlike anything else out there. So unique, so great. Uh, and mm-hmm. I just well, like I, I used to go back. I used cool to. It's wonderful. It, it took some getting used to. It was kind of like Newtonian physics, and you had to control every thruster individually on the gear. But when it came down, it was like an anime space mech fight. It's awesome game. Anyway, should we talk about RPGs or something? Well, yeah, it was just funny because <laughs> you've played the new, the latest BattleTech RPG a little bit. You had said, I think, right? Yeah, the, that, the tactics uh, RPG. From, yeah. Um, not Piranha Games. Hairbrain Schemes. Hybrid, uh, Hairbrain Schemes, thank you, who made Shadowrun Returns, right? Yes. I'm not correct, incorrect, which Shadowrun Returns was great for anyone who hasn't played it. I enjoyed it. I haven't played um, Dragonfall or whatever is the, the follow-up. They say it's uh, good. I've, yeah, I haven't played the DLC, but uh, I really enjoyed the main game. And yeah, they're a great studio. So how does uh, that one hold up as we're to segue into RPGs? Yeah, I played a little bit of it. Not as much as I'd like to. I don't have an office set up quite yet, but I've played it through my Steam Link, which is an interesting way to play it, and a Steam controller. But it's playable that way. Um, it's oh, really good, awesome. I feel like it would lend its belt better to mouse, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's turn-based, so you don't have to worry about uh, real-time maneuvering or whatever. But uh, it's, it's an awesome game. Um, it's just... It's got all that Mech Warrior stuff in it, all that Battletech stuff. If you, if you recognize the mechs and the weapons, it's just it's just like a warm blanket. But it's a really meaty tactics RPG too. It's really a game where you're fighting more, almost more so than the enemy. You're fighting attrition. It's another mercenaries game, so you're running the business of your mercenary company. And when you start off the game, you're like in massive debt, <laughs> and so every month you have to set aside a certain amount of your budget to pay off your debt and the debt's interest is accumulating and it doesn't sound very thrilling but when you put it in the context of the mech battles and the fact that like oh man like every auto cannon shot you shoot you're like oh there goes like some money (laughs) or every time an enemy blows off like your medium laser you're like oh i gotta go buy a new one now well that was yeah the same thing that kind of happened in mechware 2 mercenaries as well yes or even in i think mechware 3 had that problem as well yeah you lost stuff you're like gosh darn it but you're also like hoping for salvage and the salvage is yeah, it was a big thing. And the thing, the cool thing about uh, BattleTech is, in the contract, you negotiate your pay and salvage almost on like competing sliding scales. So oh, if that's you want, neat. that's new. If you want more salvage rights, then you they'll offer you less money. Um, but as your reputation increases, the the contractors, or rather the the offerers of the contract, will you know be willing to give you a little bit more. Um, there was actually a system like that in Mech Warrior One, like in the eighties, like the very one of the early early <laughs> yeah, <that>. games. <laughs> yeah, you can you can you're, you there's a dynamic reputation system among all the houses of the Inner Sphere, and if you had a better reputation, you can uh, negotiate the the price and the upfront cost and whatever. And so it's kind of like that. It's like a more fleshed out system, and that we haven't seen since then. But here it is in in BattleTech, um, and the turn based combat's great. Like all your uh, it, it does a lot better job than the Mech Warrior games, the, um, the more simulation games of. It was Mech Commander, doing... uh, was the last one. I think that was kind of similar to this, but that was real time strategy. It was a real time game, yeah. Yeah, but... and that was um, a lot of. Uh, I remember a lot of kiting enemies and such. You could definitely game the system a bit in some ways. Yeah. When you're like, I don't want to take on that Mad Cat, so I'm going to kite it towards um, a bunch of explosive stuff and blow up this you know refinery plant in in hopes that i can kill it with my commander yeah get the blast uh get the blast uh, radius yeah there's the cool thing about the biotech game as well is the vehicles seem to have a bit more of an impact sometimes in mech warrior the vehicles were a non-factor um barring a few examples (laughs) yeah 
but in BattleTech, you know, if you have like a, 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 a demolisher at long range and you can't quite get to it, it can really cause some problems with its like AC-20 or Gauss rifle or something hitting you from long range. Well, and, yeah, I remember them being a factor actually in Mech Commander as well. There was like, especially yeah. you got some of the missile boats that would come in, they were pretty rough on you. The LRM carriers and the, the harassers and whatnot. Yeah. 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 The best MechWarrior games, all, uh, they did a good job giving that combined arms feel. So Mercenaries did a decent job of that. MechWarrior 4 Mercenaries was really good for getting that full battle experience and having all different kinds of units out there, aircraft, ships, Yeah, because they had the aer- uh, Arrow Fighters? What are they called again? Arrow, Aerotech Fighters, yeah. Aerotech Fighters, that's what it is, because Arrow Fighters is a different arcade game. Uh, yes, Aerotech. Love Arrow Fighters. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it, it was really neat. Like, cause there was a few of them in Mercenaries. I don't remember them much in MechWarrior 2, Combat Evolved, uh, or not... um, Ghost Bears Legacy. I don't think they were in there as well. Yeah, well, Ghost Bears is a whole other can of worms, man. They had, like, those submarines. You had, like, an underwater level that was junk. Oh, yeah. Ghost, I... Ghost Bear was a really buggy and not that good of a game. No, the selling point was the fact that you got to play in a Kodiak, which was rad. Yeah. Because Kodiak... Kodiak is a big, beefy, amazing mech. That thing... Does that thing have... It has like twelve clan medium lasers, right? That could like it's slice through disgusting. anything. And I mean, the thing that didn't work, same as like that, always kind of undersold with a lot of these things. And I'm, I don't, I'm hoping, I wonder if it'll be introduced into uh, MechWarrior Five. Is the the Kodiak had the whole thing with it had it was supposed to have like claws essentially, and each one of those claws, claws was a medium laser. Yeah, yeah, and or like, and I think they were also supposed to be almost kind of used as melee weapons uh, in BattleTech like lore. In Battletech lore, they are yes, but not in yeah, exactly. mercenaries. No, yeah. exactly, because they didn't have the technology. Same with like they had the Hatamato Chi in mercenaries, but it didn't have its katana, so it couldn't mm. be melee. And there's no Hatchet Man, no Hatchet so Man or Axe Man. Exactly. There's a few specific mechs that are good for melee, and they've never really done melee in any of the games. I don't think. Did they introduce it into Battletech at least? Because that may, would make sense in a strategy game. I'm glad you brought that up. It's a big part of it. Melee combat uh, is a big part of, of the Battletech universe. It's a big part of the Battletech, uh, the new tactics game. If you get close, I mean, it's great because you save ammo. You do more structure damage versus, like, armor damage. You do, like, actual damage. And it's the best way to take care of the vehicles. You just stomp on them, right? Yeah, that was the only thing they ever had is you could step on things. But, yeah, you couldn't, like, punch or attack things. Yeah, it's, it's a much bigger deal in the Battletech. There is no Hadamoto Chi. There is no Hatchet Man that I've seen in Battletech. Oh, I haven't I seen... Hadamoto Chi. The most they'll do is they'll have the more humanoid mechs punch, or the like the chicken leg mechs will kind of like headbutt, like a ram or something. <laughs> Amazing. I haven't seen any melee weapons. I don't know if they have them in there. Um, I don't remember hearing about anything about like that yeah. either. It's a slight missed opportunity, but it is what it is because it's also a big part of the tabletop game. I've done, I haven't played it super extensively, but yeah, all those rules are held over from that, of course. And I yeah, feel like yeah. BattleTech was trying to distill that into a thing, and I hope they keep, I hope they bring a sequel and they bring some of that into it because it would be nice to have those mecha shine as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so apparently, yeah, we've had very similar tastes as children growing up. And loving the Mecha. So if you enjoyed Mecha Encounter, please email us at <laughs> Mecha at RPG. No. Oh, All right, brother. The joke's done. There we go. Third time's a charm. Uh, so... In a second, we'll be like, if you enjoyed Fire Emblem Three Houses Encounter, please email us at... Oh, <laughs> right. come on. <laughs> no, we won't go that far. But um, other uh, exciting things in RPG news. Uh, Sir Fetched. 
Sir-Fetched. I am so excited because uh, Farfetch'd is low-key one of my favorite Pokemon from the Pokemon Gen 1 and from all Pokemon General. And I know it's never been a really great competitive Pokemon, uh, but I just I always love Farfetch. Just there's something about him. I loved him in the anime. That little duck is with its leak. And yeah, anyways, I'm excited that it's relevant once again. And now it has Sir-Fetch'd, who's just this dashing, handsome duck knight. And it's great. So that got announced for uh, to continue the uh, Sword and Shield hype. Uh, are you ever? Uh, have you ever been big on the whole Pokemon fandom, Pete? Yourself? I respect the holy goodness out of Pokemon. I love. I love that Pokemon is what it is. I have tried a couple times to play some games. Um, I dipped. I dipped a little bit into a Game Boy game not too long ago, but it was a really old game. I think it was silver. And um, I thought the, the battling was really cool. I was surprised at how tactical it was and how many considerations I had to take into account. And just recently I started Pokemon Masters, which I guess, I mean, I know it's not really the same thing, but it sure is adorable. Um, and I had to look up Farfetch'd. I looked up Sirfetch'd earlier. I looked up Farfetch'd. I think I, I think uh, Farfetch'd I'm much more comfortable hanging out with than uh, Sirfetch'd. <laughs> Why do you say if that? If I have to, if I have to admit, like Farfetch'd seems a lot less threatening. Sirfetch'd is kind of like, I don't know. He kind of seems like he's hitting on my mom or something. <laughs> yes, he's a very a very dashing duck. That's for sure. Sirfetch'd is or uh, Farfetch'd is much more uh, innocent looking. Although they definitely made uh, Farfetch'd a little. Uh, crap disturber in uh, in the anime as i recall <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> mischievous but it's uh funny yeah your, your feelings on pokemon sound like my feelings on brian adams it's like i respect you as an artist but i don't enjoy your product <laughs> or not as much as i could i guess uh not to say anything against their talent right yeah. but yeah we've got uh yeah pokemon's it's really cool that we're they're doing these kind of region specific pokemon evolutions again you know i mean uh, we never really talked about it on too much on the podcast but we also got like that wheezing coughing kind of evolution too the, with the the smokestack like kind of hats uh which is neat and yeah it's just neat that they're kind of bringing their UKisms into and style to these uh to pokemon again so it's going to make it a very unique region to explore which is really a smart idea to have these regional evolutions it makes it yeah. feel distinct from the rest of the world and if i may briefly um i i I think that that is really a strength of the mainline Pokemon games and even uh, e like the Eevee and Pikachu ones that came out not long ago in perhaps Go, which I haven't ever touched. But like the thing about Pokemon Masters is Pokemon Masters is like so cute it hurts, right? It's really adorable and pretty fun. Um, but what I feel like I'm missing is it's a typical mobile game thing where they always want to get you to the next chapter. So you're never really walking around. You can tell that they had that in mind, and the game weirdly is like takes place from a first-person perspective. So you're looking down a street, and like the characters you can talk to are like there, and they have an exclamation point above their head or whatever. You can tap on them and talk to them. Um, but it's always like click the next chapter and then go here, and then of course there's all the rest of the BS that always turns me off of mobile games. Of like here's a deluge of currencies and things that you gotta that you want to try to earn it's not necessary but a car not earth um it sounds like it's not so necessary in masters 
but I could tell they were, I can appreciate they were trying to like get you in the areas, in the different spaces and um, kind of like be able to see the people walking around and talk to them. But the actual getting to know an area is kind of what's lacking here. Like walking around and knowing, oh, I know how to get to this gym. You got to take a ride at the guy or in that the building. You got to take a left at the next one. And it's, there's nothing quite like that. It's just tap to go on to the next thing. Um, yeah, it's less of a, an immersive world. It's more just an experience. Yeah. It's like, just go to the next battle and there's some cute anime people telling you a story in between, which is fine, but... I understand though. Yeah, it's it's more catered to that uh, to the gotcha audience kind of thing. Yeah. Still, I've uh, yeah uh, we had a preview that Nathan put up about uh, Pokemon Masters, and he was liking how it was shaping up. So it's good to hear that you're at least having fun and still enjoying it despite having that explorative kind of experience. So maybe Sword and Shield will be worth for you picking up. Yeah. Yeah. It seems cool. It does seem cool. And <laughs> I got to play some of these. Game Boy Pokemon games I've accumulated over my collecting years and really get into to them at some point. But yeah, um, Sword and Shield does look really neat and it looks beautiful. Like, it looks awful pretty. Setting's right. cool. And having the, the the open world kind of thing where you see the Pokemon and are able to interact with them as opposed to it being fully random encounters is going to be a fun experience. They had to, to do that, all. right? They had to go that route eventually. It's just how organic will it fit into things. Like, the next level would be to like see the Pokemon world built kind of more like, like monster hunter where all the life is kind of living and doing its thing as opposed to them just kind of randomly floating around like mobs in a, in an MMO, like actually have them living their lives, doing their things. So you're like, well, I need to go into the woods to see if I can catch some Pikachu running along their hunting trails or something like that. You know, like, Oh, Greg, but then we got to think about the, then we got to think about the Pokemon ecosystem and how they interact with each other. Is Pokemon equipped for that? (laughs) I really wonder. Right, and well, that's the thing. I mean, the, the anime has shown us that there's an ecosystem, of course, and and so it can it can happen. Is it not very hand wavy? Like, oh, just trust us. These Pokemon are <laughs> hanging out together. Well, there is natural. a bit of trust that. Us about that. Uh, as we as we said last episode when we were talking about it, uh, Pokemon don't think too hard about it. But at the same time, <laughs> yes, you know it, they've still shown like you know there's troops of Pikachu that will all get together in certain areas to and for certain things there's the whole like clefairy ceremony summoning them uh, where they're worshiping the moon and get a moonstone and evolving and yeah and uh, like they've had various kind of moments of like have a look into the pokemon life yeah that's been portrayed throughout the series that uh, even and, with the uh, the pokemon uh snap uh, that's what i was just about to say exactly pokemon snap was that look into it so if they could somehow blend the world building of Pokemon Snap with the actual mainline game, that would be like the next level, the next evolution for to be more uh, on brand nice. of the series would be impressive. That So you're kind of having to sneak up on the Pokemon and find them in their natural habitats and such. I don't think it'll ever get that point because obviously this is geared towards kids and not towards us. But if, to make a more uh, grown experience, that would be really cool. <laughs> One yeah. could dream. Uh, at any rate, uh, last episode we did talk about all like the Nintendo Direct stuff and then uh, a couple games that uh, the others were playing. And I loosely touched on the fact that I've been diving back into Moonlighter, which was a roguelike uh, RPG kind of thing that uh, dropped uh, last year. Yeah. And it's still just as charming as ever. I went into the DLC, which is called Between Dimensions, and I've been enjoying it for a review. And it's more of the same. Like, they haven't really shaken up uh, the gameplay, of course, in a sense that 
you're still as any kind of roguelike loot hack going in finding stuff bringing it back to town to upgrade the town upgrade your equipment to go back in and go deeper and deeper into the dungeon Mm -hmm. tried and true formula as i'm sure you've played your share of roguelikes oh sure yeah um diablo torchlight yada yada yada, all that stuff uh so but what's different though because up until now you've been exploring um rianca is like the main town for those who don't know rianca is the town where these dungeons appeared at some point back in the past and they just called the dungeons and the main game had you go through all four of them to try and breach the mysterious fifth door uh playing as will and who runs the shop the moonlighter but it's also a double play on words because he moonlights as a merchant who also is an adventurer in the dungeons doesn't he moonlight the... as the adventurer isn't that what it is well sorry yes he moonlights as the adventurer sorry that's yeah phrasing sorry yeah I... no it's all good <laughs> please forgive me <laughs> that's what i was going for so thank you <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah so he goes down in and finds materials comes back up sells them to make a whack load of cash and you upgrade and yada yada so with the by the end of the game spoilers you get into the fifth door you you find out kind of what's going on with uh the fifth door and that there's these kind of interdimensional beings that kind of cause all this and there's this um organization called the ict which i forget what the acronym stands for that at the end of it all they kind of come down uh seemingly from space or between the or from another dimension or whatever just they kind of are the watchers of dimensional trade and such and they say like oh cool so you've gotten through all this stuff you've and you've clearly put this place back on the map and there's clearly more going on here so we're gonna tentatively kind of set up shop here and maybe we can get you as part of the greater dimensional trade system in the intergalactic trade system and that's kind of where it leaves off and so now this takes place three months later and there's this mysterious portal that's opened up and you're diving back into it and it shakes up what the dungeons were because the dungeons were all one specific theme and had one specific type of culture and item that you could kind of get from them and that would give you one sort of path of gear until you got to the next dungeon and kept doing the same thing and kind of got different looking gear from that same sort of place that had different abilities and powers that they offered depending on the upgrade route you wanted to go but now uh sorry and each one was three floors so you would go down and then the third floor would be the main boss battle which was usually the highlight because it's like very um not quite bullet hell but almost because it's like fighting a uh, the game's like plays very much like legend of zelda so you have these very tactical kind of zelda boss battles that it's more skill-based than just having like the best equipment speaking my language exactly it's the equipment definitely helps and you're to a point you do need it so you can take a bit more punishment because it ups your hp and so that way you can deal a lot more damage so you can get through it faster but honestly you could beat the whole game with like the basic weapons if you have enough skill you'll just need a lot of patience because you'll be plinking them be like a like a dark souls like a dark souls naked run or whatever Kind of, exactly. Uh, and you can do it, which is great. It rewards your your pattern memorization and skill that's cool. response. So I, that's what I loved about the first one. It just kind of overstays its welcome by being a little touch too much of that. But it's the kind of thing that if you step away for a bit and come back, it feels fun. Mm-hmm. So you go through all these dungeons, three floors at a time, beat it, move on to the next one as you want to, or go back through to find more equipment and amass more money. Now with this new dungeon, which is called the Wanderer Dungeon, 
it is 10 floors and it plays more kind of like a gauntlet in a lot of games when you unlock kind of like just a basically play until you can kind of thing as far as you can. And it has checkpoints periodically because otherwise you, you have to start from the top every single time and then work your way down closer to the 10th floor. That's but merciful. They've, but they've got um, a new set of currency that's specific to this dungeon. So you get these slime chunks from defeating, defeating enemies. And there's this merchant called the Slime Merchant who at the end of every floor, there's like a portal that sends you back to town if you want or you can progress on to the next floor. And then the merchant is set up to sell you uh, weapons uh, sell you potions and sell you a shortcut every two floors, which oh. is great. So basically, at two four eight, you get uh, two four six eight, you get uh, a checkpoint. So that way you can start deeper and deeper in. So you're not just wasting time and potions and whatnot yeah. trying to trek your way all the way back to the end. Because so now if you the worst. So, so sorry if you if you die, do you lose that checkpoint or uh, so no, you have you, to you keep it? Oh, nice. Yeah. Because in the, all the other dungeons, you have your merchant amulet, which is this thing that you find early on in the exploration that lets you, for the cost of however much gold, it'll send you back to just the entrance of the dungeons. Oh, okay. Or later on it upgrades and it basically becomes a town portal a la mm. Torchlight and Diablo, Diablo where too, yeah. you could, it would send you back to your shop like just outside of it and then you could go back in and pick up your progress from where you were. The the amulet still sends you back to the the entrance if you want, but you can no longer do like the town portal continuation thing. You have to get to the checkpoints to do that. So hmm. they took away took away that aspect of it. So you yeah, your way of continuing is by investing in the shortcuts. But once you've bought the shortcut, it's there for good then. Because that's kind of the milestones. There's an achievement for each one you unlock, and it's what helps you kind of progress through much easier. Gotcha. But otherwise, the formula of the dungeons are the same You, as you discover the patterns of... Uh, in the base game, there's this, like, one of the random rooms you can find because every dungeon is procedurally generated on a certain set of patterns. Uh, although never, none of them ever seem to be the same, but some of the rooms make up, of course, are the same. Like, it's basically it picks a random tile and puts it where it needs to kind of thing. Sure, yeah. Uh, one of the rooms was... Uh, old Pete was this like lauded adventurer, and you would kind of stumble on his old camps, and you could. Yes, I was. Notes. I sure was. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad my notes are useful for you, my friend. Right? I appreciate that. They they helped me learn things and helped you learn how certain aspects of the dungeon work. Oh, that's cool. And so that kind of still plays. If you were, it took me a while of uh, the learning curve of remembering how to play the game and remembering these things of like, oh, that's right. That's what this means. I've found like the healing pool, which means I'm on the right track and all that sort of stuff still holds true in the Wanderer dungeon, but they've changed some stuff up and there's new enemies, which are a pain in the ass because a lot of the enemies in uh, the Wanderer dungeon seem to be formed around stealing your <laughs> So there's a lot of enemies that... Um, they will essentially attack you when they hit you. They'll either take something from you, or they're even worse, there's some of them that when they hit you, your stuff falls out of you, <laughs> which is annoying. It falls out of your pockets, essentially. But then you can just retrieve it, right? You can, assuming you don't die, which <laughs> yeah, is well, yeah. part and parcel of the same thing, because your inventory, part of the game is inventory management in a sense, too, because when you go to chests and such, I don't know if you've played the base game, they, a lot of them will have curses on them, which okay. uh, kind of shakes up the standard uh, kind of resource inventory management that a lot of roguelikes like Diablo and Torchlight had. You can't just put keep picking up gear willy-nilly. 
some certain ones will have like, oh, depending on where you put this, the curse is it'll break the item in the direction that this arrow is pointing. So you need to make sure you're positioning things in the right place. Or other ones are like, this item can only go in like the bottom row or in the side row or whatever. Oh, wow. And stuff like, I that. like that. Or Yeah, or it'll it'll transform when you get back to town, whatever direction this is pointing in, it'll transform the item it's pointing at into this item, which is cool because you get high level items and you just take a bunch of garbage stuff and it transforms into the more expensive thing. So there's cool things like that. There's even one that like, as soon as you put it in your inventory, it'll send the thing next to it back to town, which can be good <laughs> and strategic. Oh, yeah. So it really made you think about it, which is cool. And that's still here. But the, so the thing with the inventory is you have like a top row that no matter what happens, that is protected. So if you die, you lose everything in your inventory except the top row. So the stuff that you know you're going to need for upgrade materials or your potions, you want to keep in that top row. Because if you die in the dungeons, you drop everything else. Right. So the problem now, if you have these things stealing from you, they can steal from any row, so they could steal your precious potions. So that's annoying. Second of all, when enemies are knocking things out of you and you start picking them up, it's not organized anymore. So oh. if you happen to die, even though you've picked your stuff up, you could still lose the stuff you were trying to protect. <laughs> so it becomes sure. obnoxious. And then the next level of that is there's one of them, uh, basically every two floors, there's like a boss and you fight it every single time you go through that second floor. That's not like once it's defeated, it's gone. Uh, you have, you'll always have to fight it unless like, that's part of the checkpoint thing. So you always will have like a quick boss battle and they get easier. Of course, the higher you get with your equipment and such, because mm. they added a new tree of equipment to, combat uh the uh, difficulty spike and there definitely is one but one of the bosses has a thing where it sends out these two bubbles that bounce around the map one of them knocks your stuff out of your inventory the other one any item it touches it just sucks away (laughs) so it's very stressful just vanishes exactly it just takes it and and yeah it sends it to somewhere and that's the thing like there's some of these enemies that do that um there's one enemy that once it grabs something, it doesn't give it back. Where there's other ones, it, whatever the latest thing it grabbed, if you kill it before it steals something else from you, you'll at least get your item back. So, it, yeah, it definitely shakes up uh, how you were proceeding through the dungeons before. Because before it was just kill things, get your stuff. But now you actually have to really be working consciously to not get hit. Not simply for damage, but also not wanting to lose your stuff. So I I feel they did a good job with the DLC in making the experience fresh enough. It wasn't just more, here's more mobs of, you know, slightly different palette color. And, you know, you do you. Because they definitely made this whole between dimensions thing. There's bits and pieces from all the other dimensions that kind of show up as it. Because it seems to be like there's something wonky going on that links all these things. But they're not all together. So you see enemies from all the different dungeons in this space. And then some of the new ones as well. So you can collect items from all the different dungeons, but also getting the new stuff that you'll need for your new line of equipment in this specific dungeon as well. Hmm. So I think they did a good job of making it more of the same and a little new enough for players to want to come back. And the story of it, it is what it is. Like it's still the, the team is based out of somewhere in South America. I think it's Brazil, but they're a South American team and the ESL translation work shows a bit. <laughs> There's definitely some punctuation issues and some grammatical errors and such, but ultimately the story holds up enough to be like, cool, it's enough for me to be engaged. And when you get to the end of the dungeon, as I my review will be going out soon enough, uh, it, like it was a genuine surprise as to like, oh, cool, this got really deep. Interesting. With uh, 
kind of what builds up to the final boss of this DLC. So it's That's very great. cool. I'm just yeah, if you, I, like I'm just thrilled that there's innovation going on in the inventory management space, and particularly like innovation as far as cursed items in roguelikes. The first roguelike I ever played as a kid was that Windows 3.1 exclusive, exclusive castle in uh, castle in the winds or castle of the winds or whatever. And oh, wow. uh, that one was just like you got a cur- you got some cursed boots and you can't take them off. <laughs> like that's what that's what cursed items used to mean. Well, so they're doing yeah, it was like cool that stuff. in um, in D and D and like like yeah, Baldur's Gate I think is like the first time I can remember like picking up cursed items and such too. Sure, like yeah. You would get like um, you know, there's that girdle that changes your your gender, and uh, <laughs> for example, and you can't take cursed items off usually once you've had yeah. it on. That's part of the problem, and it's user like or there's like a quest or, involved with it or, or to disenchant special... it or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Usually it's a one-off thing. So you always had to be like, that's why it, it was a cautionary tale of don't put something on unless you've identified it. And it's but if you got that cursed sword and that cursed sword had like astronomical damage, you're like, I don't care. I'm a cursed warrior now with this sword. And well, I exactly. I you pick it. and choose your, <laughs> your, what you want. That's that's the roguelike um, and RPG magic right there. Well, exactly. And that's the other thing with the new resource management of, um, of how they've innovated with Moonlighter 2 in the Wanderer Dungeon. Uh, they have new, as I said, there's a shopkeeper who sells weapons, but they're 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 called slime weapons, and they're exclusive just to this dungeon. Because when you're going through, whenever you beat one of these bosses, you get this little chest made of slime that you can open up, and there's a, 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 usually a really good item, and it's usually uh, an ar- an artifact. Uh, sorry, um, yeah, like an art like an amulet or something that you can put on that gives you a bonus. Like you know, you'll do fire damage or poison damage, or your attacks have a chance to stun or instantly kill or whatever and you can just put that on and you have two slots for accessories uh some of them though are temporary accessories as well that uh, once you leave the dungeon they go away oh interesting. so they'll have a little like little slime marker which means they're exclusive to the dungeon and you can only have them while you're in there hmm. and that's the same for these things they have the slime weapons that are you basically will find a blueprint and you take it back to the merchant and for the cost of slime and gold they'll reveal what it is and build it and then you get these special slime weapons that you can only use in this dungeon uh but what's neat about them is with every other weapon up until now because you had a sword and shield you had a great sword which was heavier damage a bit slower you had a spear give you a little bit of reach and you could do um like a charge attack with it uh, like a little bit of a run and a stab kind of mm, thing yeah uh there's the punching uh like gloves so if you want to get real tight and close melee and then there was the bow for, of course, range stuff. And every weapon has two kind of options for attack. So sword and shield, you, you have your standard like attack. And then the other button is you can put up the shield. Whereas, like, So sword and shield is one weapon, basically. Is that what you're saying? It's, yeah. Yeah. It's one combo weapon. Yeah. Gotcha. It's, so, you, so you had like five different styles, which is what I love. Like you, it caters to a lot of different play, gameplay styles. Um, and like with, the, yeah, with the spear, you have your normal just your quick thrust. Or you can charge it up and do a bit of a run thrust for a bit more damage. Same with the bow. You can do your quick shot, or you can charge it, and you get of a you get a more powerful shot, and you can also kind of direct it a bit. Uh, not like you know crazy heat seeking, but at least you can make it waver. So with these slime weapons, you they're all still in those archetypes, but the secondary function uh, is called transforming, and essentially you can transform each of these slime weapons so that they get a like a power. So they have the first thing I found were um, I think they were called thieves gloves. And so it was a melee combat 
get in there, did a bunch of damage. It was they already do more damage than the base gear you're starting with at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a nice thing to have <laughs> to be able yeah. to get through things a bit easier. But the secondary function, basically, whenever I punch somebody, I would it would they would it would knock items out of them, and so okay. that was cool. So that so you were the you were the the menace now. Exactly, they introduced that mechanic as well. The thing is though, when you transform them, every single time you swing, it takes HP from you. So there's a cost. So you oh, kind wow, of a risk wow, reward wow. weighing out the system. You know, I found a spear that it worked as a spear when I transformed it. Whenever I made my spear attack, it would also spew out a cloud of poisonous gas. So you could poison enemies and do extra damage that way. Uh, there was um. There's a sword, and it shoots, there's one weapon, or sorry, one enemy that does this kind of like wind attack, so it would do, it would imitate that wind attack, and uh, there's a pair of punch clubs that basically did a Hadouken <laughs> as its uh, transform thing, so yeah, it's, it's really neat that you get these things, but again, they are only used in the dungeon, so once you leave the dungeon, they leave your inventory, but once you've found the blueprints, and once you've purchased them from the slime merchant, you can always purchase them again. So that's cool. But the problem is if you have the blueprint and you haven't revealed what it is yet and you die and leave, you have to find that thing again. So you definitely want to get back to the merchant as soon as you can to unlock your uh, potential weapon for use. So all in all, they've added some real fun new gimmicks to kind of shake up the game. And uh, I love it. Nice. It was really nice re- re- uh, revisiting. And yeah, if anyone likes the roguelikes, I definitely recommend this game. It was one of my favorite games to play last year. Uh, and still, it holds up. So, well, we're gonna and keep a, an eye out for that uh, that review. Yeah, of course, it should be going up in the next few days of this gorgeous little game. Uh, but at any rate, that's enough about me talking about stuff. Uh, you did a review um, of Star Trader, which I talked about on the last episode of my little preamble. Uh, but how does a Star Trader uh, hold up? Star Trader's Frontiers. Um, it's the latest game from the Trees Brothers. Um, they're a pretty awesome developer. They started on mobile. Um, as far as I can tell, they started on mobile. They did one of my favorite games for that platform, Cyber Knights RPG, which is a really great Shadowrun-esque cyberpunk dystopian RPG. Fabulous game uh, for Android. If you have one, you should pick that up as well. But definitely get Star Traders. Um, it's This was their first game that I can tell that they developed for other platforms it's for ios it's for windows and mac um, and android i played it on android it's uh it's a lot like that dos game star control um where it's a top-down rpg you're flying around in a spaceship and you go to different systems and interact with different characters and take missions and fill different roles you know you can engage in piracy or smuggling or just uh you know totally legal trade um and there's some story kind of uh, there's some storylines you can grab onto and and um, and influence. But the thing about Star Traders that I find remarkable is the way that it models politics and relationships. So uh, as you move throughout the systems, you get to know people, you gain contacts, and you can at any time pull the menu and see how they interact with other contacts or their relationship with other contacts. And the kinds of you know procedurally generated missions they'll give you usually have to do either with their faction, of course, and of course you know the factions all have different sorts of conflicts with each other as well. So that's another big layer 
Um, but they also could be personal missions that have to do with their contacts. Maybe you are doing something against someone who they're enemies with or for somebody who they're friends with. And all these systems, the politics and the personal kind of stuff, it all collides together and nothing breaks. <laughs> it's remarkable. You just the, the way that you play the game is just tap it on the screen. It moves really fast. It's super easy to play. So it's not that complicated in that sense, but the things that you influence through that play, but you don't directly change, the stuff that changes based on your play is so intricate and it seems so complex, but it's all so authentic feeling. Um, and they even will generate some quests based on some of those factors. In the review, I mentioned a really great quest where um, I was having a bad relationship with a lot of the factions and you know that means that traveling through their systems is a lot more dangerous so i decided to go out and try to repair my reputation with some of them and the first one i chose i had a contact from that faction so she's what you call a fixer which would be like you know whatever they all have these like basically these classes like a prince or a fixer or a merchant or whatever so she was a lower level kind of in this hierarchy of this syndicate like this crime faction like this organized crime group basically and so i decided to get on the good side of them because they hated my guts so i spoke with her and i started taking missions for her to prove myself to her so while my relationship only uh improved marginally with the faction it improved very quickly with her because she didn't know me personally so i started at basically a, a baseline of zero as far as my reputation with her so we became friends basically through this so she eventually this quest generated for her um and all she talked about was her coronation this and her coronation that and that you're gonna help me and so i agreed and she then gave me a set of missions that were generated missions like all the rest but they were now toward this goal of her coronation whatever that meant so i had to buy up supply to cause scarcity in the marketplace, which is an actual dynamic marketplace, like an actual dynamic economy. So I had to buy up liquor and go stash it on some planet somewhere so that it would cause scarcity in the market. Then it just escalated where I had to manipulate some people here and there, um, which meant taking quests for other contacts. But really, I was working for her, not them, but they didn't know that. And eventually, I had to like assassinate a couple, a couple people. And when that happened she became a smuggler princess. So that's what she meant by her coronation. So she, she went from a fixer to a smuggler princess. She gained rank in her faction. And at that point, she had the ability to issue pardons. So I could pay her a whole lot of money, and then she could pardon me on behalf of the entire faction. So suddenly... That is so cool. Yeah. So these missions were all generated like all the rest of them. Um, but because there was this quest line that was generated and that they were... Uh, that that was the quest line was the one feeding me these missions when she got to a certain point like when her numbers hit a certain point of like reputation um within her own faction which is yet another stat like one's reputation within their own faction and also their reputation in all the other factions if they're known in those factions but once her reputation hit a certain point they they coordinated her as a smuggler princess which put her in a position of leadership which then meant that she could pardon me and so then all of a sudden I went from like a negative 300 reputation to a zero reputation with them, which meant that I could travel through their systems and it was a lot less dangerous. They weren't gunning for me like they were before. So 
Um, and you can do that without a quest line being generated. You can just focus on a contact and just kind of get, you know, you can, you can find a contact through in one of those factions that's in a position of leadership and just work for them until they like you enough. And then you can, until you can afford the pardon, they'll issue you and just buy it. So there's um, so cool. Yeah. It's really great. Um, the game, there's a lot more to talk about, but basically like that's what makes the game sets the game apart and makes it really special as far as like what role playing means um, is just the way that all these systems, you know, there's leveling up, you have your crew, they all have traits, they all have levels, they all have skills. There's all that RPG stuff and you could play it like a roguelike. Even if you wanted to, you can change mm-hmm. the difficulty and you can have permadeath. Um, well, and the combat looks kind of like a darkest dungeon kind of style almost the way it's, it's like a simplified up. version of that. Yeah, it's, it's all based on positioning. There's ship combat, and there's the infantry combat is a lot like Darkest Dungeon. You you place crew members in there. It can be any crew member, but your combat-focused crew members are typically better. And um, based on that and their weapons, they'll have a preferred slot, one through four. And, you know, they it's all based on buffs and debuffs. Um, it's pretty snappy. It feels pretty good. It's, it's all right combat. The ship combat is even quicker. But, again, it's all about buffs and debuffs. Um, it's really cool. It's a great game. Um, I gave it editor's choice, so it's. Uh, I yeah, think right. that it, even on mobile, like if you just want something to play on mobile, that's a real game <laughs> and substantial. You, I don't think you can go much better than that. I think it's one of the best games available on mobile if you like RPGs. I was and, gonna say, would you sci-fi. recommend it on PC or would you recommend it more on mobile? Uh, well, if you get it from Steam or whatever, you know, certainly it'll be on sale for like two bucks or something. I think it's eight dollars on mobile. Uh, I preferred it on mobile because I don't have easy access to a PC all the time these days. So it was real nice to just pick it up and, and play it. And it's the full experience. Have everything is there. Everything. Yeah, the interface is a little different. That's it, though. Everything is the same on any platform. And this is uh, inspired by... Um... There was like that really classic uh, PC. Yeah, Star Control. Like Star Control 2 specifically, yeah. Uh, it seems to be inspired by it. It's very similar. Um, I, I think it's... I, I, I don't know for sure, but it's clear that that had to have been a major influence. No doubt, and just improved upon for all of it. Uh, it seems like for myself, uh, I liken this back to Freelancer. I don't know if you are as into space flight simulators as you are Oh, but of course. Like me. And do you remember Starlancer and Freelancer? I don't know. I sure do. Yeah, and I love that about Freelancer building reputation with the different factions. So yeah, you can get through their territory easier or not, get access to better ships through those different factions or not, yeah. and have better trade relationships, and the market kind of changes based on supply and demand, where you are, what is needed. I love those kind of things. It's just, uh, those minutiae really tick and speak to me and star traders sounds right up my alley so. yeah i feel like star traders has all those things that you expect but what's unexpected is what really elevates it and that's all the relationship systems and all the faction politics systems that really are i mean i see a lot of games try to do that i don't think i've seen games outside of like 4x games maybe even those games fail on the diplomacy often but I've, i don't think i've seen a game that's not a straight up strategy game do so well with that stuff that's amazing uh yeah the only other one i can think of maybe not so much for the relationship stuff but just like throwing the random things at you would be and it's i guess it's still kind of strategy would be massive chalice which is double fine Mm -hmm. Uh, did you ever play that i never did i heard an awful lot about it at the time but i never played it. it's really cool actually i'm surprised we never reviewed it for rpg fan 
it's one of those gaps I want to kind of fill in because uh, Rob Steinman, uh, who used to be our beloved our uh, random encounter host, loves like XCOM and those kind of games, and I was shocked that he never spoke of Massive Chalice or if he ever got into it because it would seem right up his alley. But I love that you're ruling over this kingdom and trying to manage things, and every once in a while you'd get these big choices would get thrown at you sometimes of like, hey, this person is a random stranger. What do you choose to do with this person who's shown up at the kingdom door and you had a couple options and it would actually have these like big ramifications for things moving forward. But it's less about like the relationship building stuff. But wasn't the massive, wasn't massive Chalice the one about like your genealogy, like your Royal lineage or whatever. Yeah. You are essentially playing an XCOM style strategy game, turn-based battle system in the battles itself. But yeah, you're ruling over this eternal kingdom more or less uh with the there's this thing called the the massive chalice that it would take i think it's a hundred years for it to charge up and then it could essentially uh cleanse the land of this like invading force that was coming in and you as the ruler were eternal but your subjects were not okay so you had to keep kind of recruiting or you kind of had this cool game of thrones system too where you started with a bunch of different houses uh, that you would name and give banners to, and you would they would have lordship of the different areas surrounding, and you could marry them off together to produce a certain kind of offspring. So you would have the different classes that they would represent, and that's also how you kind of unlocked new classes throughout your playthrough, that is by marrying cool. like a caberjack to an archer, and they would make a new class that had a bit of abilities from the two of them, for example, and their offspring, cool. though, would also inherit their traits and such too. So if like you know, your one of the parents was an alcoholic, which I can't remember, like they would give certain boosts and negative effects and such, or there was all these different traits that could be passed online. It was very complicated, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. It was very clear, but it also could be frustrating if you're just like, cool, the only person I have available right now to rule over this kingdom is barren and can't bear children. So oh. I'm going to get nothing from them. And my people are getting too old to fight now. So they're going to die easier because my main party is aging and like it, it's really interesting. And You're picking my interest in this game again. It's very cool system. Uh, yeah. And it definitely has a, a steep curve to difficulty, but it's rewarding. So if you like XCOM, definitely Which dive I into do. Massive Chalice. It's mm. super neat. And I just love that whole idea of ruling this kingdom and yeah, managing your your aging populace because they bring different things. Like Obviously, the young ones have some stat boosts because they're young and vivacious, so they have better strength and decks and really great in combat, and they have a lot of worms to learn. Whereas the older ones, they have higher wisdom and such, which gives them certain benefits. I think it's like potions and some stuff like that. But you can retire them to become teachers or become instructors or uh, sages to help you research stuff. And also, if you can keep a family lineage going long enough in the same kind of class, they'll eventually have like a relic that their family can pass down to generations as well. So they can have this really powerful item that goes into that class. It's super cool. It was such a yeah. cool project. I backed it on Kickstarter when they were getting it going, and yeah, very neat. Anyways, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say very that. different from Star Trader. Very huge aside. Uh, I just feel like that's I'm all right. Wrong that it was never talked about. <laughs> yes, yeah, do it. It's justice. It should should happen. Anyways, 
random asides on this one on this very uh, truncated episode of no it was all very cohesive it was all perfectly uh in line with with every element came together like a beautiful stew i really hope that our listeners feel the same uh sorry dear (laughs) listeners if we digress far too much about silly side things they need to know about floors greg right exactly who cares about mecca who cares about weddings who cares about rpgs <laughs> flooring is where it is at yep. and i recommend hardwood floors because it's just so much easier to clean i do I'm too. always leery of carpet and all the junk that gets in them disgusting <laughs> uh, on that note though uh, we have uh, a finite amount of time today and you know we've talked a couple games there's still more stuff to play i've got monster hunter world iceborne's expansion on my ps4 for review i'm enjoying it quite thoroughly it's fun being in the winter wonderland that is that game uh fire emblem three houses we talked about it last episode but i have finally had a chance to dive into it for um getting some video coverage for our video team super neat game that was another one like you were saying how the strategy and the relationships this brings those kind of like anime relationships building into your strategy game uh as and you've played a bit of fire emblem you were saying Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and uh i was real leery of three houses at first i was really wary of what it was gonna do i was not on board <laughs> with the preview coverage whatsoever but I, I have to say from what i've heard since then that i think uh my fears have been pacified that sounds like what was your biggest fear pretty... oh man the harem high school anime waifu stuff especially in... right I, ha- I mean it's not just because it was in a school I, I mean, I, ha- I have this weird thing about, like, why are these three frenemy nations putting all their future leaders in the same school when they're going to go to war soon? It seems totally out of control. But um, <laughs> it's anime. It's fine. It, that's fine. But really, my fears are based on what Fire Emblem has done lately. Like, you know, I think I'm not alone in being not so appreciative of the direction fire emblem has taken its support system and the conversations and uh hopefully in the future i can talk on this podcast about genealogy the holy war for the super famicom which did it very well and you know mostly okay it was in the 90s so there was weird stuff too but yeah yeah um yeah because what fire emblem has represented lately i had real uh issues with the preview coverage of three houses but like i said i think uh, people, from what I'm hearing from smart people, um, you know, our staff amongst those people, it seems like they do it right. Yeah, I've, I mean, <laughs> they try and do the whole explain it all away, hand wave some of it in, in a way of like, your character is roughly the same age as the students. Because that's the big thing they make mention of right out the gate is that like, oh, you're so young that they've, that, you know, why are you giving this? young such a young man or woman it's not about age it's about power dynamics exactly that's the thing though (laughs) the problem is is you're still the professor to them being a student uh i mean and they've offered up some of the teaching staff i haven't gotten that far into it so i don't know if the teaching staff are viable you know options for the the relationship aspect of it but i have had one of the students already kind of and my character already start to bond a bit in terms of just like oh okay it seems like you can have a thing with the students that's slightly problematic to me but it, it also doesn't at the moment it hasn't crossed any weird lines aside from just like oh cool that's nice that you would think nice things of me but no one's being weird about it and then the support kind of conversations that all seem to be having are mostly about like 
I'm intimidated by you, but let's be friends anyway. Or conversely, it's um, very, uh, yeah, frenemy oriented, at least within even your own house. Like I have people who are raising it. Most of my support conversations have all been like, I take issue with how you deal with things. I take issue with how you deal with things. Cool. Let's agree to disagree. Support support has increased. And I'm like, (laughs) what? (laughs) But I guess it's still them bonding in in a way, right? Yeah, they're hashing it out. Right, exactly. So, yeah, like, I'm definitely leery of, yeah, the husband-o-waifu kind of weirdness that can get in there. And the very thirsty other one of the other professors that they just made super overt and obvious but it's like calm down <laughs> but all that being said so oh, far man. it's playing pretty harmless so we shall see mm. uh yeah at any rate uh folks we talked about a lot of random things i gave you a lot of fake addresses but for reals if you do have any comments questions complaints did we talk too much about mecca you can tell me at podcast at rpgfan.com choose your answer carefully <laughs> We do need more more mecha RPGs, I'm not going to lie. Mm, yes. Also, you can find us at RPGFanCom on both Twitter and Instagram. We've been we've been doing great. We've had we've hit a great amount of followers on both and have had some really great outreach. You can also find us on Facebook as well. I always fail to mention that, but we're on Facebook and uh, again, all of our social media team does a great job of really engaging. They they certainly do. With everyone and uh, yeah, don't hesitate to ask us questions. Please send me questions for the podcast. Uh, again, I, it kind of keeps sneaking up on me. I need to remember to start reaching out again because I really love actually having the lister questions. I like the conversation it usually spurns. Uh, spurns, that's not the wrong word. It spurs. <laughs> there we go. And uh, I want more of that on here. So, yeah. Either way, uh, that very much wraps this episode up. And Pete, thank you so much for coming on for the first time. I'm sure it was a sorry it was a short stay, but I hope we'll get you back on again. Oh, I would love that. As would I, and there will be maybe slightly less uh, mecha talk the next time, but I'm sure we'll still geek out as we do. I'll find some mecha RPG to talk about. They're out there, right? Exactly. Well, you and I also clearly have some some side conversations to start having where we can nerd out together. Yes, because uh, I think we are definitely the biggest BattleTech nerds at RPG Fan. <laughs> yeah, which makes sense, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there. Yeah, it's it's a very Western franchise for sure, and we are in a dearth of of uh, Western coverage some days at RPG Fan. We like our JRPGs. What can I say? Yeah, we do. So thank you so much for being on here, everyone. Thank you so much for listening uh, for myself and for Pete. Uh, keep on trucking. Sure, let's go with that. Yeah, keep on trucking. Bye. Bye. <laughs>